0: Hey, Bastin, Jay and Silent Bob are coming to raid your fridge, smoke your weed, and make you laugh hysterically while they do it. How do you like damn apples? Friday, October 7th at the Wilbur Theater. Catch Jay and Silent Bob get old. Grab your tickets now by clicking on the link at csmod.com. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biach Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on merchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob get old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. Yo, Red Bank, New Jersey. Jay and Silent Bob are gonna snooch to your motherfucking nooch. I don't even know what that means. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Count Basie Theater on October 8th. Special guest, Tell'em Steve Day. Tell Get your tickets at countbasietheater Jay and Silent Bob get old live at the Count Basie Theater October eighth in Red Bank. Word. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radios Metric fuck ton of live shows? Join Smodcast for just four ninety nine a month. You'll get CD quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir ad-free. It's like watching porn without having to fast-forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast, where Smodcast goes save for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. Going to New York Comic Con in October? Well, Jay and Silent Bob are giving you one more reason to fangasm. (laughs) Uh, you might want to clean that up. Friday, October 14th at the IGN Theater. Catch a live performance of the popular podcast Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Dust off that Batman costume that's three sizes too small. Or, fuck it, don't wear a costume. Just wear some type of clothing, because, you know, you don't want to get arrested. And get ready to enjoy a thick layer of gooey comedy jizz with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Jay and Silent Bob get old, live in New York, October 14th at the IGN Theater. Tickets on sale now. For more info, go to csmod.com.
1: Hey, what's going on? Matt Cohen here. You guys want to hear a story? Uh, a few weeks ago I was, I was at Golden Apple Comics, like always, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, picking up my book for the week. They have, they have the best books, Golden Apple Comics. You can check them out at goldenapplecomics.com if you're not in the Hollywood area. But anyway, um, and I apologize if I sound a little somber, but this is an emotional tale. Uh, I was at Golden Apple Comics and I, I got my, my comic books as always. I got a, I got a couple of great trade paperbacks and a few really cool t-shirts and even a little, uh, Hellboy minibus statue, which they had there. They have the greatest selection of all that kind of stuff. And, um. I had my books, and the really friendly staff wished me on my way, and, um, in the parking lot, uh, I was about to get in my car when I was accosted by, by a, a group of miscreants is the best way I could describe them, they, they were young, and they were rowdy, and, um, and I was scared, and, and, uh, they pulled out, uh, jackknives and, and mac knives and all kinds of different knives and demanded, demanded my money and my comic books. And I was like, look, you can have my money, but I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping this Golden Apple Comics bag. You, you, you have to pry those away from my cold dead hands, Charlton Heston. And the guy was like, I'm not Charlton Heston. And I was like, I know it'd be weird if you were because you'd be dead. And that would take this to a whole different place because I'd be getting robbed by a dead person and it would still suck, but it would be kind of cool because I would know ghosts exist. Anyway. I was getting robbed, and and they were like, "Give me your money." And you're ugly, and you st- ugly shoes. And I was like, "Leave me alone." And they're like, "No, your car is stupid." And I was like, "No, my car is not stupid." And they're like, your car, "Yeah, it is. Your car is stupid. Give us money in the comic books." And I was like, "No, I will not take everything but the comics." And they were like, "All right, we'll do that." And I was like, "No, on second thought, don't take anything." That sounds horrible. Leave me be, man. I I need a hero is what I thought at the moment. I was like, I need a hero at the end of the night. And you know what? Golden Apple Comics saved my life. Uh, the entire staff of the store came out and, uh, they were wielding prop replicas of, of famous comic book weapons. And, uh, and, and without even, without even touching these, these offenders, because that would be illegal, they scared them away and made loud noises like they're, as if you were shooing a bear. They were like, hoot, hoot you know, that that scares kids away. If, if oh I gave I'm not saying they were kids, but all I'm saying is if anyone's ever trying to rob you, apparently what the fine staff at Golden Apple Comics taught me is you get a um uh, a Molinor rep replica and you go who 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 and they saved my life. So not only did I get comic books and awesome trade paperbacks and t-shirts and a statue at Golden Apple Comics last Wednesday, I got a life-saving folks I don't think I have to say anything more than that. Golden Apple Comics. What other comic book store will literally save your life? (sighs) GoldenAppleComics.com. Check them out. They're the dreamiest. like bags and boards because I'm a fucking dork. I like bags and boards because I'm a fucking, dork. Like I'm a fucking dork. My collection gives me an eruption. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Bag and Border at Golden Apple. How you guys doing? Oh, yeah. We got a full crowd. You would think I paid and or roofied you folks. You're so enthusiastic, but we'll take it. It works for audio. Uh, how's everybody doing today? We are at a special recording of, of Bag and Border, As you might hear... It is a daytime show. Uh, Golden Apple Comics, as you all know, is a thriving shop here in Hollywood. So there are people shopping. They're buying Wonder Woman shit as we speak. Like, one dude's buying way too much Wonder Woman stuff, but I hope he can't hear me because it's not nice to judge. But regardless, it's a special daytime show. We are lucky enough to have a cool audience that came out. Obviously, you folks don't work, and I appreciate that. But think about it. You've got, you've got a story now which in today's economy is more valuable than actual income because you could sell that story and make it like a movie of the week or something. So like a story is worth more than actual money, I'm going to go out on a limb and say. So we all thank you for being here. As always, brought to you by the fine folks at the Smodcast Network, purveyors of all things smod. You guys are here on a special day. Now, um, I've talked to a lot of fine folks on this show. I've talked to filmmakers. I've talked to screenwriters. I've talked to actors. I've talked to People involved in video games and animation and voiceover rarely have, I talked to one person who encompasses all those things, and I am lucky enough to do so today. Uh, my following guest, you might know, uh, let's just start from the top, As a screenwriter of such films, X-Men, X2, Watchmen, Scorpion King, he's done voiceover work from everyone from Miyazaki to, ladies and gentlemen, Solid Snake himself from Metal Gear Solid. Without further ado, please welcome to back to border, Mr. David Hayter.
2: How are you, sir? Thank you. Thank you for thank you for having me, Matt. Welcome, it's a great welcome. pleasure. I
1: appreciate it. I uh, appreciate you being here. So we are here at a comic store in California. You are a California
2: native, right? True. Well, I've gr- I I grew up all over the world, but you got- I was born here. I've, I've spent most of my life in California. But
1: I saw you got kind of a bit of a mutt upbringing, as it were. So totally, yeah. So from California, you went to Japan. Or am I wrong on that?
2: No, I was born in California. Then I lived all over the southern United States. Lived in Canada, and then when I was fifteen, we moved to. See, Japan. I skipped to the cool part. I'm sorry. yeah.
1: so but your upbringing. I can so believe you
2: skipped over Colorado. I
1: Colorado's awesome, man. I'm yeah, going there Colorado. next week for fish, but for totally different reasons. I'm yeah. sure that you were there when you were a child. Yeah, I was only there. Uh, <laughs> Traveling around like that, were you into comic books, TV? Did you have a kind of a geek upbringing? Were you able to?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's partially why I had the geek uh, upbringing was because we moved – Every six months to a year of my life, so I didn't have a lot of friends, but I had a lot of comic books. And I was to say, uh, my friends were Venom and
1: Punisher. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly,
2: yeah. and and so you I had know, dark
1: friends. I was an angry kid, I guess. Yeah, okay.
2: my best friend was a was a schizophrenic uh, guy, uh, Bat. Like creature and and um you know and, and parents Dare issues Double. yeah yeah totally yeah X Men all of those things and 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 so yeah my my parents would just give me comic books and we'd drive around the country and and that's so how so that those started.
1: for those fundamental years that was when you really connected with kind of the the geek superhero world as totally. it were yeah right on so 15 years old you go to you make the jump to Japan yes what why and what was that like because let me first say I'm obsessed with all things Japan and Japanese I mean I'm, I'm attempting Rosetta Stone, which is Oh, cool we're it's slow going, but we'll get there. I can say a uh a group of older women are eating that's about ah. like the extent of my uh well, that'll come in handy oh uh no
2: wa mm, o- o- wa totemo see, jade. I'm done.
1: I only know the first part, but I'll get there. Right? I, I
2: said those women must be pretty hungry.
1: Oh, see, there we go. If I only had you as like a tag team, <laughs> oh, we could no, go to listen, Japan right now. Listen, we,
2: we could go right now. What's that?
1: They have those weird stand-up tag team duos where one guy like smacks the other guy and then he yells at him. That could be
2: us. That's right. It could be like a like a ventriloquist thing where you sort of tap me and I'll say something to Japanese And then I'm and like, no, you're dummy. Us. You right, know what right. I
1: mean? Now, who's the dummy now? That's um, right. It'll be fun, man. We should yeah. give up our careers and just do that right now. I'm I'm in. 15 years old in Japan. What was that like moving to probably, I'm going to go out on a limb and say one of the most foreign places someone from the Western world could go, right? Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And where we moved, we moved to a town called Kobe. It's a big town. It's got about 3 million people, but... But not Tokyo, so... But not Tokyo, and nobody spoke English. It was it was very alien and... and uh, very difficult to get used to for the first six months or so until now, i started to pick up the language had
1: you already been a fan of kind of japanese culture at all so were you psyched in terms of like cartoons and toys and that sort of thing or was it no, more like I, I mean i was I to move to kobe japan where no one speaks english like, yeah was it i was a bummer
2: yeah it was more of a bummer at first i mean i had friends that said oh my god i'd love to move to japan it's gonna be kick-ass and i you know i was excited sort of peripherally but mostly i was losing my girlfriend all my friends i'd finally sort of put together a group of friends and then my parents are were like we're real moving life to girlfriend japan. not miss
1: marvel or no anything. no you actual flesh and i had blood finally <laughs> i had
2: finally touched a boob and i liked it and and, that, um, and
1: that's when they fucking kicked you out to japan huh? yeah
2: and then they and then my parents said well we're moving to japan and i said well have a good time you know <laughs> and uh but they took me along and and the first six months were very difficult and then but i grew to love it and once i was able to speak the language I I touched more boobs, and that was that was Japanese a, boobs at this Japanese, point bo- too, which are all kinds of well, different. I and mean. I went to an international school, so there were European boobs, oh, there were Swedish, there boobs. was a whole yeah Danish boobs, there were there was a. An it was assortment. like the United
1: colored Benetons of boobs. And it all, after a while,
2: I realized this is a larger, more boob-filled world than I was experiencing before, and it all, it all started to seem okay. It all worked out for you. Yeah. Um, what did, what did you take away from Japan? But how long
1: did you spend in Japan? I should ask. You went to high school there, right? Yes.
2: I was there. I lived there for off and on for about four years. Which are
1: like the most, kind of the most formative years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So coming back,
2: fifteen to nineteen.
1: Coming yeah. back at nineteen, twenty years old to, to Canada, or went back
2: to Canada. I did a year of theater school uh, at Ryerson in Toronto, and then I said, "Hell with this! I'm going to Hollywood and and make my way." And, was
1: that a total mind bug of a transition, though? After spending four years in Kobe yes. and coming back.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. You, I really. What I had spent a lot of time. I spent one whole year trying not to speak English, where I just tried to think in Japanese, where I just tried to, which makes it sound like my Japanese is better than it is. It's it's okay, but um, but when I came back, my English syntax was all over the place. I like I would screw. up. You were up. taking
1: your shoes off everywhere, and people were. Really I still suspect. I still do oh, okay. that.
2: I take off my shoes everywhere I go. Right, no just shoes. polite. I, you no, know what I, I mean? Take them off now. No, exactly. Um, and um, and I was very weirded out by. By how loud everybody was, <laughs> you know. In Japan, they they tend there's a lot of people, but they tend to respect the little box of space around you, and that's not the same thing. In well, North it's America. not like it's
1: not like Canada is the most loud place in the world, but compared no, to Kobe, I'm no, sure. No, but it's no, different. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And 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 then when I would go to when I come to the states, I mean, it was a whole and then and in Hollywood, so, very intense. Thing. So you
1: you did a year of acting. Um, had you wanted to pursue acting growing up? Was that always the passion?
2: Yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer until I was nine. And then I realized how much more school I had to go through, and so I said, no, hell with that. I'll become an actor, and then I can play a lawyer someday. I had
1: one you know. of those. I was like, I'm going to be a businessman. Then right, I was like, right. wait, that requires learning math past yeah, yeah. single digits. I'm fucking gone. That, that yeah, was, yeah. yeah. yeah that Podcasting was, it is. Someone right. invented it soon. Right, right. You know I, mean? I hope somebody was comes up with a thing where I can just wait talk about comic no, books exactly. a,
2: on, a, on a computer.
1: Uh, so so you finally get to Hollywood. Um, was it immediate success? What was it? Was oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome, right? You were already, you were the no. star of Silver Spoons, weren't
2: you? That's, That's right. That's why we have you here. That's today? right. No, exactly. I changed my name from Rick Schroeder. No, 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 to no, totally. no, uh, immediate success. I would not describe it as as such. I, I got a job as a bar back at a bar on Ventura. I cleaned out toilets. Smiled, successful. I I, no, yeah. Well, I, I survived anyway. I had no friends. I mean, I, I was here by myself at, at 20. And so that was kind of lonely. And then I think my first job was, I did some non-union. My first job was actually, I was in a commercial for car insurance where I was played a motorcycle rider who broke his hip, but I, I, here's, this is my line. I broke my hip and the police blamed me for it because I didn't have a license or insurance. And I was like, I think my character's kind of an idiot. Like,
1: yeah, it's, it's kind of his fault. Not the stereotypical bike rider you'd think of, who'd be no, complaining like about a, the police.
2: You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I broke my hip and what, the, and then I went to a
0: bar. Sounds and like a Jewish grandpa. A it sounds like my
1: grandpa instead of like a Harley guy. I'm like, telling you, Matt.
2: Oh, these cops! They hit me. I'm laying on the side of the road. No one's looking. We had script problems from day one. <laughs> and uh, and so that was, but that was my first job. And I did some non-union things. And then I think the first real thing I did, I, I guest starred on on Major Dad. I did a, an episode of that. Um, where I played a Russian kid with a Russian accent, Helen Hunt's father Gordon was in the audience, and he hired me to do a Russian accent on Captain Planet, and that was my first voiceover. So that
1: was so gig. from that Russian accent, it was kind of it was off in in a way. So That's you, right. Yeah. You did a spot on Major Dad as a Russian. Now, did your time in international college help you? Were there Russian boobs yeah. involved? Like
2: no, uh, I no, but I had been through Russia. I had traveled through uh moscow uh leningrad as it was called at the time down into the south to tashkent uzbekistan samarkand so i so you'd had been in russia yes i had spoken to you've russians in, i knew the i knew samarkand, the accent which is like reindeer herders that's yeah, as far I've been, russia as anybody else guess. here been to samarkand
0: I
1: think you went, I think you and the ten thousand Samarkans that have ever lived have been to Samarkand we and a were, bunch of reindeer.
2: We were in the middle of nowhere in the in the like the Afghan desert, and and it was it was intense. So I I knew that I had I had I, I had done a lot of acts. So you had that way. time
1: in the, in the middle of the Siberian plains to bring back to your experience on Major Dad, and it that's worked. Right. It worked in a major way. Totally. You got so then you got cast as a a, a voiceover actor on Captain America.
2: Yes. Had yeah, you ever?
1: Right considered voice over acting before that?
2: Yeah, uh, well, actually, uh, when I was in Japan, I did English language voice tapes. There were some things, like, they just needed English speakers, and so they would bring me out... There, I wish I could remember which they were, but, like, the old video games, the stand-up video games, and you'd hear English voices. Uh, uh, My friends and I from... Uh, high school were called in to do that because we spoke English. So. so you were
1: like the game over voice in some, yeah, exactly. Centipede I, exactly. Yeah. Some
2: weird thing on, on Centipede or, or, or Defender or something like Time Crisis 2, you were bad guy number five. That's a little Way before right. Time right, Crisis right. 2. But, but, so I, <laughs> I, I wish I could remember that. which video games they were because there's like weird little video games that i have voice work in from the mid well, so, 80s early so, 80s
1: being a big I, I call it japan file because i can't think of an appropriate word yeah, for yeah, it yeah. like anglophile but i've noticed that um if you're a caucasian actor in a foreign country you get a shitload load of work yes true and and there's only like seven or eight of them and they were they're in everything you'll see like if i watch a lot of like um, Japanese or kung fu, kung fu flicks, and you'll see the one same black dude right. for years.
2: Right, because he just lives there's there. there's five and,
1: black dudes in Japan, and right. four of them are dentists, and one's an actor. So y- they only yes. have that guy. And know? all
2: of them have more sex than you can and ever imagine. I'm sure, man. Yeah. I gotta get to Japan. Um, yeah, uh, Japan's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, voice, so, so you had. So I had done. done so I some had voiceover. done voiceover. I had been in the booth for you know since eighty four probably and but then when I came here and then I got cast on the, the mid nineties Spider Man show as Captain America and it was so cool. Everybody was so yeah, I nice. that and like show Ed too, Asner yeah. was J. Jonah Jameson and Paul Winfield came in and like all these amazing actors and everybody was so cool.
1: And how old were you at this point?
2: 24.
1: So for a 24 year old dude to be Captain America for all intents and purposes had to be kind of awesome. It was.
2: It was badass. Did you? you, Did
1: any boobs come out of that? Like, you would hope that there'd be a pickup line like, "Hey, ladies, I'm Captain America." They're like, "There's no movie. No, no, no. On the cartoon, (laughs) Mm. get him wet."
2: no nah, it didn't it, it, no it doesn't really work like that but but there were other actresses who i certainly okay. i i could tell you the names of some characters we but character the but names because only because you'll look no, them yeah, up on yeah. google and then you'll and then i'll be kissing <laughs> and telling but yeah no there were certainly some i'm not gonna say i didn't uh that the that all of the planeteers went unmolested <laughs> I, you know oh i hope it wasn't heart I listen. I can't. I hope I can't, it wasn't hard with I that monkey. Uh, um, I can't even. So, <laughs> that was a boy. <laughs> I know. That's why I said I hope
1: it wasn't him. I was waiting for someone to pick up on that. Uh, it was like you, hard. I you remember. You, that. you got to do some other really cool voiceover work, though. You did something that I saw as a child and just found out today. You were looping in in, yeah. in *Killer You're in a Miyazaki film. Sir. I know.
2: I didn't even know at the time. I I, I didn't know who Miyazaki I don't think anyone was because I remember even it was seeing his first film, but but we dubbed it in in 90 or no I'm sorry in yeah in the early 90s I guess and um I was working I was working regularly at an anime studio so we would do these animated you were movies in Moldiver and Gundam and like all these things. Yu the Yu
1: Hakushi, yes, all right a bunch of Yes yeah. that's right
2: that's right. Um uh Blackjack and things like that and then and but i and m- me and bryan cranston from breaking bad okay, yeah, were the two too were we were the two big actors working at this anime studio at the time he wasn't, you know, obviously. If I go wasn't back famous. and
1: watch random anime dubs, Brian Cranston yes. is the voice of oh, people. Oh, yeah. I'll
2: bet you he's done a ton of it that. That's awesome. Awesome. That's my next weekend. I can't wait to meet him and say, Hey, you and I worked at Magnitude so cool. you know? no, 8. Yeah. So, uh, so, but they called me. I'd been doing a few things there and they said, look, we've got a movie and we think you'd be good for the lead. And I was fantastic because I, I'm starving to death. And, uh, and so they brought me in and I'm watching this movie and we're dubbing it. And I'm like, this is pretty badass. Like, this is a, it's not, your standard anime—it's, it, I mean, anime is great, and they do amazing things. But it, it was so beautifully directed, so original, and so that '60s sort of sensibility. And um, it's almost like a Bond film kind of. It's kind of very going much going like, going like a Bond film, that, that, and like, and but like with a '60s hipster and. And, was, and
1: Bond film meets Avengers with with the suits and the cravats right. and the ties and everyone's And dressed ninjas and, and cool. things like yeah, that. Yeah, and, totally. You know, if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, the Lupin or the series too, which is pretty badass oh, as well. Sorry, no worries.
2: It's Otakai. Miyazaki right now. So, no, that's my. I just I left it on because I wanted people to hear my. That's the Kodak ring from uh, Metal Gear because I'm oh. I'm as big a we'll, geek oh, as anybody here. we'll get to here. that. Don't worry. So we're saving that. So, um, yeah. So we did that film, and then and then it really wasn't. Then I got to be a big Miyazaki fan, found out that was his first film, and it was such a retro honor, you know? It's
1: weird. I just similar, I saw Totoro in theaters in America when I was, like, seven years old, randomly, where I'm from in Long Island, at an art house theater. I think my parents were just like, oh, it's a cartoon, we'll drag them there. And I became obsessed with it throughout my entire childhood, and it took, like... 10 years to realize oh my god that was me like right. i had been onto Miyazaki way before i should have
2: been you know what i mean it yeah. was a cool kind of No, he's amazing geek. he's amazing and i've since seen almost all of his films and and uh so it's it was a great honor and to that was know back that I when the
1: that. dubbing was when when they when when they pick people based on talent and not based on their imdb star meter rating that's right, because the, the new Mirzaki. Well, there's a lot of Fannings up in the mix. I yes. feel like, you know, quite, what I mean? quite a few Fannings. A lot of Fannings, a lot of Breslins. I don't know who these there's people. There's a lot of Fannings, are.
2: anyways. I I don't know. I I think they've been multiplying they're with the Wayans or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. They're they're in the NFC Central now. They're about to take over. I think it's a genetic yeah. uh, experiment or something. We'll I
1: find out. About. Yeah, that blonde hair, blue eyes thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. We should expect. Maybe they're they're Argentinian or something. Possibly. We'll, they unfroze we'll into Hitler's into it. brain. No, totally. I think maybe they are the Marathon Men. Um. So. You, uh, I guess, let's jump right to it. Voice, so you'd been doing a bunch of voiceover work. You'd also done live action acting throughout your entire career, yeah, right? That's right. I mean, people might not know that as much, but I mean, before Snake, had you been you had you'd been doing a lot of TV the, or film? Or? Yeah,
2: I well, I starred in a movie called Burn that I that I produced that we still haven't put out. It's only been twelve years, um, and I'm trying to get all the music rights cleared for that because that's a pretty cool movie. And uh, so there was that. Um, what else did I do? I I, I don't know. There were. Oh, Guyver, yeah, Guyver. I started got, in a movie called Guyver 2. Look right. at that. The fans back there. That's up. right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> um uh, I, there are no ladies here, by the way, so you know. They're
1: too shy. They're in the back. They're here.
2: They're oh all... no, I'm sorry. I mean, there's chicks everywhere. Yeah, oh, it's man. A no, granabob. they're in the back. They're all blushing. They can't. Oh, yeah, yeah, they that's... can't possibly <laughs> stand like the sight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, so so I did the movie Guyver, which was a huge uh, part of my life. I met my wife there. I got to you know, be a superhero. They put me on the on the cap- for the jump off the cliff. They put me on cables, and I got you know they lifted me up against the sky, and I was like, oh my god, I I have made it. You're I'm like, going to be a me, just major Just keep me sky. in the sky. That's well, yeah, <laughs> I, I, like I'm such a geek that. They would say, okay, you know, it's all very technical. The stunt guys would be like, okay, ready to pull him up. One, two, three. They'd all pull like this. And I'd watch my watch my shadow sort of take off from the thing <laughs> and pretend I was flying into the air. I mean, dude, it was awesome.
1: similar geeky, pathetic men things. I was at Six Flags two weeks ago, and I went on that Tatsuo ride. I don't okay, know if you know it. Okay, I've been on it, yet. It's like you're flying. They basically right. tilt you forwards. And instead of screaming or I, the entire time, I was stone-faced. And in my mind, I just kept going this is what it would be like to be Superman this is what it would be like to be Superman and I was like purveying the scene right very stoic. Moving the though, arms like, properly. Yeah. For, no, I was yeah. moving my arms, not smiling. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. That's what Superman, I like to do, that kind that's of. That's
2: serious w- business. Whenever I can pretend to be a superhero, I take the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So you actually got to be one. That's pretty cool. I literally got to fly and uh, like 20 feet into the air, and, and to watch your shadow, to watch your feet take off from the ground and your shadow sort of separate was. That's got to be pretty. it's yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. It's got to be awesome.
1: You've done some other pretty awesome stuff, and the first time I think maybe most American audiences, or certainly I, were very familiar with you or your work was uh, uh, a little franchise called Metal Gear Solid, sir.
2: Mm, I'm not familiar with that.
1: Um, they made a couple, like, DS games, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 I think yeah, there yeah, was yeah, a yeah. sad Jaguar version of it. That's like, right. It was, was on I Jaguar, know. right?
2: Was it on Jaguar? No, I'm kidding. I, I, Definitely I no not on Jaguar. Okay. <laughs> I don't, <Definitely laughs> don't even know what that on is. Definitely not on Jaguar. Like, I know that that's some sort of jungle cat.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, that, so, we won't talk about Jaguar. 1998. Um, I got
2: cast in Metal Gear. Um, the casting director from Captain Planet uh was a woman named Chris Zimmerman who ended up directing every voice uh English voice session on the Metal Gear series. So she had remembered me uh from Captain Planet. She brought me in like I hadn't seen her in five years and uh brought me in randomly and I auditioned for this thing and I got it and, and it was really an amazing.
1: Were you thing. familiar with the predecessors to the game you entered no, on? Because no, no one, I didn't really know anything about
2: an America, it. Right? I, I I mean, I, you know, I during the time that they came out, I was a struggling actor, so I had stopped collecting comic books. I couldn't afford that. I couldn't buy video games really, and and. And so I, no, I didn't know anything about it, but they made it clear to me, the producers from Konami made it clear that this was going to be a big game, big budget, they were breaking, it was groundbreaking, they were, and they showed me all the artwork, and so I had a sense of how big it was gonna be. Um, but I had no idea it was going to go on for 12 years. I mean, I don't
1: think anyone probably thought it would be one of the, arguably the biggest video game franchises of all time, right? No, I mean, well,
2: obviously you hope for that, but any time you do any project, you you aim for the best and you get what you get. And the fact that Metal Gear hit the way it did was, was a blessing. You know?
1: Now, when you were first presented with the character of Snake, uh, wh- wh- I got a few customers on Twitter. I mean, it kind of mashed up into it, but just where did that voice come from? A lot of people want to know, because it's such an iconic... Well, voice, I, you well, know what I, I mean? Yeah, I had
2: auditioned with a different voice. Um, I, please I, tell me it was like a high pitch Woody Allen thing. No, no, yeah. I, that's, that's right. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Liquid. Um, <laughs> probably dealing oh. with the Patriots here. I want um, that game. So that'd be pretty good. I want that game. Uh, no, it was, it was like my voice. It was like this voice. And, 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 but then I had from the time I auditioned to the time I got cast, or the time I started working, they gave me the script, which was, I mean, literally a stack of pages about two and a half feet high. And this was
1: also in a time in video games where there really wasn't much fully voiced over no, games like not this.
2: Not like that. And More, I mean, especially action games. And it was also the first game where the polygonal character, the polygon character was the same in the cutscenes as it was in the gameplay. Yes. That was the first time that had ever happened. There was and no was transition. Really cool. So you would just move from movie to game. And um. And you could smoke, and there were cardboard boxes. It was just smoke. the coolest right, game was, ever. Like, it, I mean, it was pretty. It, well, the the presentation of Kojima is a genius, and and he he the creator of the games, and he really obviously knocked it out of the park. And 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 so, but during the time between I, the time I auditioned and the time I started working, I they gave me pictures of Snake, and I read the script, and it was like, okay, he's a special forces guy who's been doing it long enough that he's already retired. He wants to be left alone. And, and, and drive his sled dogs in Alaska. <laughs> so it started to get to be more of this sort of thing. Like, I, I just want to be left alone. I can't, uh, no more missions, no more nothing, you know, and it became that. And by the time I had already done two or three hours of voicing, Chris said, Oh, let me play the initial voice track that you auditioned with. And it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere close. Totally different. But we all sort of agreed that what I was doing now was better. And so we stuck with that. And, and that's where it came from. Now, uh-
1: Did you, do you, as far as like getting to be a cool character, Snake is, I mean, one of the coolest fucking characters of all time. I agree. Uh, how much did the actual look and like, I think you just said it, but were you really informed by the storyline in terms of your entire performance? I mean, was that always first and foremost? And, and
2: yeah, well, it was, well, there were a couple of things. I, you know, I'm a massive fan of Escape from New York. So I knew that there were sort of ties to that and I didn't and people say, you know, did you try to copy Kurt Russell? And I'm like, No, I tried to not copy Kurt Russell. <laughs> I tried to make something that was different. Kurt's voice is more call me snake, you know, it's like more of a whisper. It's, it's got more that
1: whispery a, palance almost kind of thing. Yeah, Exactly. Going. Yeah. And
2: and so I wanted it to be different from that. Um I, it, it's a lead role. Anytime you have a lead role, to my mind, you want to do a lot of work. You want to know what his story is, what his history is, where he's coming from. And so, yeah, I did a, I did a That's lot cool. of work on it.
1: Now, so you've done The Voice of Snake in how many games now? I mean...
2: I think... Well, I've done it nine times, but we, do, we re-recorded the first game again. So it was eight individual games, And then, I think.
1: like, Super Smash Brothers and different Super ancillary Smash and Brothers stuff like different. that. Well, that I was mean,
2: like... That took me 45 minutes. I mean, we they just came in and recorded us. Uh, we were doing... We we're in the booth for Metal Gear 4 and they just, new producers came in and we did 45 they were like, minutes. They are like, now you're
1: punching Mario. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: jigglypuff. You know, what the hell? <laughs> that sort of thing. And, and that was really bad. That
1: would have been great if that accidentally bled into Sons of Liberty or whatever. Well, it just a well, jigglypuff. It's, funny you
2: say, it's funny you say because we did, you know, we, we fuck around on, on, in the recording of the games and we did a thing where I was showing Jennifer Hale my shriveled snake and and she's like, "Oh, my shriveled, you know, like that sort of thing. and some of that stuff actually got into the main tracks. I think I called riding a bitch at one point <laughs> and 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 they literally just caught these mistakes before it went to so the great. final printing, so it, so it almost it almost came out by accident. So then they told us not to screw around. Someone anymore.
1: out there's got the ultimate Snake blooper reel though, for totally. sure, with all the characters. Oh no, 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 we do, and everyone, we do that all the time. Yeah. We, there's
2: like gay banter with Otacon and you know some really <laughs> fun stuff there. And so hopefully someday somebody will put together a, a, a Snake uh, gag reel.
1: Now, having to do the game in different installments, was it is it always easy, super easy to jump back into Snake as it were? I mean. Yeah. Is there, yeah. is there a transitional time to no. find a voice or is it, is it second nature by this point? No, at this point, I can pretty much
2: drop into it anytime. I, I. Do you ever get caught in it?
1: Do yeah. you ever, do you ever do, find yourself
2: doing snake? Yeah. I'll in yell your real at my life? dogs. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. Yell at my dogs. Stop that. Sit down. You know, and they, they tend to do that. Um, and it's, it is my voice. I mean, so if I, you know, if I, if we get into an altercation in a bar, you might hear some snakes. And, and everyone, you know.
1: every geek in the room runs to you, not out of the I room. Want them, the, I
2: want them to come to my aid, take care of create a, a my, human my, barrier. my opponent, and then I'll sign autographs. Okay, so first we have deal to deal to the fans. Best an enemy, though. Yeah, but there's a lot of you. I mean, it'll be fine. <laughs>
1: now, has it been... I mean, it must have been... It's got to be a dream of a lifetime. And the fact that...
2: You're watching my back, George. This guy, we got That's it right. right
1: here. The fact that the franchise is still continuing. Now, I know uh, no one's really saying much, and, and you don't want to leak anything here, but... but <laughs> I don't know anything. You don't know anything, right, about I don't Rising. know anything. No and, I th- never, and I never do. I mean, like, they literally... That's the big thing. People on the internet is like, David Hayter has a code of silence about Rise. Well,
2: I do. I do. Uh, they I... Well, not about Rising. I have a code of silence about Snake. When we sign... Each deal we do, there are non-disclosure agreements. There's things I can't tell. And I don't want to tell because I don't want to ruin things for them. But very often, almost every time, what they've done is they've... Pretty much finished the Japanese version of the game, and then they That's come right. and hire us because
1: you get a fully you get a fully finished game o- almost. almost uh, right? uh,
2: Metal Gear Four was different; like I was watching the the mocap actors instead of the cutscenes. But but they've already done the Japanese voice and and all of that. So I come to it very late in the process. So the fa- you know people read into the things I say about Rising to say, oh, he's secretly in it, or he's not secretly in. It. I don't know anything <laughs> yeah. about it. I I I. I I may be in it. I may not be in it. Uh I won't know. You're like
1: it might be a love story between Raiden and Snake at this point. No one could, knows. I, I couldn't. I, I have That's no idea. That's what I'm voting for. By the they way. could call that a. There's be, a poll on. I'll call. Uh, I'll call Konami. Quentin. No. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um. Uh. W- w- so they. Um. It could come out, and I, I, and I'll just be like, "Oh, I guess I'm not in it." Or they could call me any day and say, "Hey, can you roll down to the voice studio and and do a thing?" And and no, it
1: makes sense, man. So which is weird because I had Phil Lamar on a few weeks ago, and he yeah, told yeah. me so much about it. No, I'm kidding.
2: I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. he spilled. He was like, "It's well, he's he's so, vamp. It's so, vamp the game." He's so unprofessional. Nice, that's Phil. He doesn't. Horrible. You know, he's new to the world. <laughs> he, he doesn't have a lot of experience, and that's. Um, but we, we try to some. we try to walk him through it. Uh, Phil is a, is a voice god for anybody who doesn't know. And he's Samurai Jack. And so he's, he's a personal he's a lot god of, of really mine. Cool I, mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's you're, and you're a
1: fan too. You actually oh, am, play totally. the video games, totally. right?
2: Yep. I played them all.
1: I know a lot of times people who do voices for things will, will just do it and never think about it again. You're a Metal Gear Solid fan, right? Totally.
2: No, I'm a Metal Gear Solid geek. I, I mean, I've played them through. I mean, you know, part of it is, is vanity. I, I, I love <laughs> to hear myself doing these scenes. And it's fun to, when I do it, I, I, very often don't see the visuals as we go so to see it in context and to see those those beautifully rendered scenes and the artwork that goes into it is really cool and then it's me you know i'm like that's me does it bum you out when you die because it, it, it is it, you or you're like no, oh it you doesn't...
1: feel it a little bit like the twin thing kind a of a little
2: bit <laughs> uh, no but no you know what ha- what does happen no i don't care he can die he dies all the time but what and then they just scream his name him and he's back it's like snag, yeah yeah what what does happen is if i get shot and I'm like, Ugh, ah, like that. I'll feel it in my gut because my voice will, my 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 throat will, in, in will instantly close it. up. My diaphragm closes up because I'm I can I can feel the effort that I'm putting so into it. So you have the most
1: intense playing experience I, of anyone. I, I,
2: I would I would uh, arguably yes. <laughs> when the alarms
1: I, are beeping, you're like getting crouching low and shaking. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: not only that, my emotional uh you know my emotional uh situation is tuned to snake because that's my job i have the people are like are you upset when he gets tortured or whatever i'm like yeah that's my job <laughs>
1: you're like my job was to get upset you know and so yeah. i try to
2: put as much emotional drive into it as possible so i get worked up when snake gets worked up so i mean it's it's really embarrassing watching me play uh, that's great man and, and
1: I, don't, I don't want to stay on metal gear forever but uh the other thing really cool that we should touch on real quick is uh metal gear four you uh actually played uh more well you always play more than a few roles you play big boss as well in the games but you were actually uh, got to play yourself in a in a live action sequence. That's
2: right. That's right. Which
1: was the single weirdest live action sequence in a video game. Can, can we well, that's explain really what something. happened in that? Because I don't know if I see. I haven't gone for the explanation. All I know is I popped in the game. I was like, "Metal Gear" is one of those franchises. I'll buy any game that comes out because you know you depend on it. All of a sudden, right. it's you being interviewed by this old lady in like a Brazil-like future with weird glasses and stuff. Oh my god! Well, first of all, the the lady
2: is Lee Meriwether.
1: Okay, excuse me. So it's cat. It's not
2: some lady. Was cat it's Catwoman. Woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and she did give me. She gave me a. Uh, an eight by ten of herself in the cat suit from the sixties and said that I was absolutely perfect, which was awesome. <laughs> um and Lee Merriweather I just love to death and she's amazing. And she plays um uh, Eva, older Eva, okay, in the, in, yeah. in the game. So, so they brought she and I together to do this, and they said we want to do a thing with you at, getting interviewed as yourself, and that's all they told me. So then I showed up, and they give me this acid-washed jacket with these studs it's like a in black it,
1: black-eyed peas costume. Yeah, and
2: then they're and then they're putting the 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 solid eye eye patch on me, and I said, could I, could somebody get the director? And they got the director, and I'm reading the script, and I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Like, is this like I didn't know. of if they were running a game on me or they were like i I didn't know if i was going to be humiliated or (laughs) the video game star version of punk or something yeah i was like i was like you know i'm happy to come and do a thing as myself but this isn't really my i wouldn't really dress like this and so we put in some com. i put in some comments about the thing and and to try to clarify it to a certain extent but in the end, you know, when it was done, it's just one of those weird Japanese things, and and I felt that they did it respectfully to me. I mean, it was weird and strange, but it was kind of cool. It's cool, yeah, Japanese totally. you and expect weird. It. I mean, and there's all those little things crawling around on the table they put in in CG, and so, I, yeah, it was, I don't so know. So that's I mean, the explanation. No one knows what's going on. That there. was pretty much it. And I, I, I mean, I had a conversation with them saying. This is really strange. Maybe I should wear my motorcycle jacket. I brought my motorcycle and so I had this awesome leather jacket and they're like, and the director literally said to me, he's like, well, look, if you're not going to wear the jacket, we might as well not do the whole thing. And I was like, well, I don't maybe just he just think
1: designed it's... that jacket and wanted to get it out. There his or his something. girlfriend was, like, designed it. He starving. Design, right. Okay. I went with him. You're going to give the credit to his girlfriend. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Who did... <laughs> I'm giving no
2: credit to anybody. It was a terrible jacket, but, but, uh,
1: so that wasn't something you wrote. No. Okay. I was just clarifying because you because segueing very uh, neat one right there yeah, you yeah, are. Right you right are, right you right. are a a screenwriter. I or, am, are yes. you not sir? Well,
2: that's my primary job, yeah.
1: And um you I mean now you you have credit on such we talked we touched on it earlier. I mean the big four are really X-Men X2 Scorpion King and and Watchmen, right? Am I missing yeah. any?
2: No, those are the ones I've, and those I've are, written I produce some other and things. And those between. are four pretty awesome ones to write, man. I mean, it's you a, can't argue. I've been very fortunate in terms of the ones that have gotten made. Uh, have been pretty good and i'm, now, pr- I'm proud of all of how
1: did how did you get your start now i guess chronologically x-men would be the first writing gig right
2: x-men is my first was my first writing gig at all okay. so i am technically the most successful first time writer in history and yeah. screenwriter in history anyways
1: congratulations! i don't know how to even respond to that like, i didn't <laughs> either it was
2: chris mccrory my friend who wrote usual suspects who told me that and, and weigh the gun i mean so, all, yeah. so he calls so he calls me up And I got sole credit on the movie, which he had worked on as well and has some brilliant work in. Uh, And he said... That was your
1: your debut screenplay. Wow.
2: It was my first job as a writer, (laughs) ever. So you're...
1: Okay, so yeah. So he
2: calls me up and he goes, he goes, do you realize you're the... The most successful first time screenwriter in history and I was like I do now <laughs>
1: financially and critically man because that was really the birth of this modern era of of, of superhero films I mean there are a couple of the, the Donner films of course and they had the oh
2: yeah well the Donner Superman well and in the Blade movies well and Lauren Shuler Donner worked on the film so Richard Donner came to the X-Men set and we watched this yeah, yeah you want you want some geek trivia please so <laughs> so Dick Donner and I I call him Dick because we're good friends sure um we're watching, uh, su- an uncut television version of his Superman that was released in the seventies that somebody had an old knockoff videotape of. And it had the scene where, um, Christopher Reeve talks to, uh, Marlon Brando's hologram about Dick. how good it felt the first time he flew. And that wasn't in the original movie. Man. And so, so Dick comes into the thing and I said, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Watch this scene. So he's watching it. And I, he's like, Oh, that's pretty good. And I said, Why did you cut that? And he goes, You know, I, I don't remember. <laughs> but I was like, Well, you have to recut it and put it back in because that's awesome. You know, a new Marlon Brando Christopher Reeves scene. So and then he did. So not only are you the most <laughs> successful first time writer of all
1: time, but you're the man we have to thank for the Donner cuts. Well, well, for, for,
2: for, for that scene, anyways, right, I certainly still, did bring it back to his attention. It's right, not
1: a bad thing to do. Man. It's all,
2: all that is all Donner, but uh, because and he's a god. Uh and I love Love, love those films. That had
1: to have been cool, just sitting on the set, sitting on the That's set awesome. of X-Men watching Superman. You're like for a geek, you kind of can't get better than that, right? unless was you're per- getting a lab dance from like Amazonia at that well, moment. Well, that would
2: have been something. yeah, that's our uh, yeah, uh, that would have been pretty. Starfire, nice. I went it's, with Amazonia. yeah, Starfire. Amazonia. Amazonia's kind of weird. I yeah. don't know who Amazonia she is. She was a I, giant lady. I thought you were mispronouncing Apollonia, no. which would be fine.
1: That would have been fine too. Yeah, yeah, but Pr- um, Prince so we did. uh Sheila e any of the old Prince castoffs?
2: Although at the time X Men was very stressful, and we all thought it was going to be a disaster, and it was so, untested,
1: right? Was, no, yeah,
2: nobody knew what we were doing. The studio didn't really understand it. I mean the only X-Men fans were me uh a young man named Kevin Feige um who
1: we all know now yeah who has
2: probably gone off and done some other job These somewhere things, I think, yeah um and Tom DeSanto and uh and we were sort of the ones who knew X-Men and No that's kind of out. a
1: colossal task for any writer especially someone who's never ri- I had a writing gig before you have 70 or, or or that 50 plus years of canon to
2: draw from Yes
1: what, how did you approach adapting the X-Men to screen,
2: man. Like... Well, uh, we were in Toronto to shoot the movie and they gave me an expense account to go down to the Silver Snail, which is the great Toronto comic book shop. And, uh, what up, Silver Snail? And so I had a, I had an expense account where I could just get any X-X-Men com- comics I wanted. It's not a
1: bad thing to have.
2: Yeah, or <laughs> anything. I mean, really. I bought Sandman. I bought all the, I got like I caught up on my comics. <laughs> we might put Sandman in the X-Men. But that's too. right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, um I think we should work
1: the entire run of Green Lantern into this film. <laughs>
2: yeah, so I went I went over the essential X-Men. I found scenes i had never seen before. I found that line that's in the movie um Rogue is looking at his knuckles and she says, does it hurt or when every they time, come out? Every time, and he oh, says, yeah. every time. That's from an old comic See, book.
1: See, I never knew that. And that's probably one of the greatest lines <laughs> of that movie. Amazing. Film. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I read it and I was like, that has to be in the yeah. movie. That's amazing. And so, um, uh, so I went through all of those and then I went through all the comic books that I owned as a kid because the first X-Men really came from my, era, which was the Chris Claremont, the Claremont Burn, uh, Burn, Burn era. Of uh, course. Yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. So they're all down here. So I went back through some of those stories, the setup of Dark Phoenix, all of those things. But at the same time, the first X-Men was all about setup. It was all about setting up the world, everybody's powers, where we're at, what a mutant is. And, and so it wasn't really about the story until until we got into X2. And once we got to
1: X2, I mean, if for for someone who was a fan of X-Men when it came out, and I think a lot of people have a similar experience X2 blew our fucking minds, yeah. dude. From the first ten, just with cool. the Nightcrawler stuff and the yeah. from that opening thing on, X2 is one of the three best superhero films of all time, uh, in my well, opinion.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, the the like, the Wolverine or the uh, I'm sorry, the Nightcrawler attack on the White House. I wrote because Chris McQuarrie had written the Auschwitz opening of the first movie, yeah, yeah, which was so amazing. We were like, we have to do something that can at least come close to that. And so I came up with that sequence. Um, and I, and I wrote it and it was the only sequence I ever wrote for Brian Singer that got made the way I wrote it. Uh, You know, I I handed it off. It went straight to the storyboard guys. I mean, Brian directed it incredibly well and the visuals are amazing. The action is amazing. There's so many more people that, that made it incredible, but it was essentially untouched and I was just so thrilled. And and it's an an amazing
1: way to start off the flick and, and. Now you say, you say the first one's all origin. The second one is 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 fun. As I asked I, get a- to get the- I
2: asked Brian Singer, the director. I said, "Do we have to go through all that setup again on X2?" And he said, "Nope. We assume everybody's seen the first movie, and we just roll." And I was like, "Awesome!" And so I, I was on fire. We were
1: off to the movie. races, man. And yes. a lot of people have asked. I mean, so that's X and X2. You jumped off at a good time. Uh, do you have Well, any...
2: I wish, I wish that, that Brian and I had off. done the I mean, third movie. Do you have any but... feelings
1: on, on the last stand, as it were? Or as I like to call it, the last X-Men movie that will probably ever be made <laughs> from that franchise? Um, I'm not a fan, and I don't know that yeah, guy who directed it, so I have no. Well, I do. Okay. I, so... I, I
2: know Brett, um, and I actually visited I'll the X-Men set. I'll be the X3's bad guy set. geek
1: on, the, on this. I'll be the well, internet geek on this one. Well,
2: look. I mean, they, had a tough task ahead of them. All of the original people were, were, were not, were, I mean, me, I was gone, Brian was gone. Zack Penn at that point was Zach not Penn, involved, right? No, he, I think it was, was Zach Penn and Simon Kimber okay. who got credited on the script. All I don't right. know how the script came together, but so they had a tough task and they had to meet up with what we were doing and meet up with Fox's aggressive marketing. Like, they'll the just pick a date and say, go, you know, and, and, and so, I, uh, so I, I tend to cut them some slack. There were obviously there were things that I what would you have done differently Was not happy say? about.
1: Well, if you look, could have continued my, from X two, what did you, did you guys? What we you? had planned okay.
2: to do was take the Dark Phoenix story. Like she, you, you, you there's one moment in the first X Men movie where Magneto's machine, which turns people into mutants, goes over everybody, and and Xavier has said there appears to be no effect to mutants. Appears to be. But when we see Jean afterwards, who really doesn't have much power in the first film, you, there's, I beg Brian, I said, just get one shot of her, like something has happened to her, and it's in there, it's completely unexplained, and, and, but I was so thrilled, and then in the second movie, I had a sequence that got cut where Storm and Jean are flying to Boston, they fly over, uh, um. Well, Jean is having headaches, she's having a problem, like things are happening to her mind, and then they pass over the Statue of Liberty and they're patching up the big hole in her head from the first movie, yeah, yeah. which I thought was a great sort of thematic image. In the third movie, the war was going to erupt in a in a full cross of the United States way. Mutants being rounded up, the army coming out, she turns into Dark Phoenix and she says they want a war. Uh, I'll give them a war, and she takes off for Washington, and we see, it was a dawn shot of the Iwo Jima Memorial, which is made of metal, and it just starts to glow orange, and it just goes, (laughs) and it melts down as a line of fire streaks through on its way to the White House. The entire, you know, United States Army is lined up on Pennsylvania Avenue, and she just lands in front of them and just starts beating the hell out of all the, the entire armed forces and the X-Men have to come in and stop her. So, I'm speechless
1: right be. now, as I'm sure everyone else listening to this. Like, I, there's certain moments where I know I talk too much. I was like, Matt, don't say a fucking <laughs> word during this thing, dude. Uh, that's incredible. So dude. it would have been,
2: it would have been pretty cool. I think a lot of,
1: you just got a lot of people, uh, excited and said in the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, it was a shame because I, the Dark Phoenix story was the defining story to me of, 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 of the X-Men of my my era of X-Men, and I wanted to take it to that moment where Wolverine, who's been in this love triangle with Cyclops and, and Jean the whole time, finally gets, they know they have to kill her. There is nothing you yeah. you cannot stop phoenix unless you kill her and he gets her down on the ground and this guy who's been wrestling with am i an animal am i a human being am i a murderer am i a hero am i in love with this woman or am i not gets her down on the ground his claws to her throat she gets a hold of herself for one moment and goes do it you have to do it i can't control this you have to kill me and he can't do it he loves her and she turns back into Dark Phoenix and tosses him away, and the one chance they had to take her out is gone. And and that's where you know, all of the humanity. movies were I mean, coming yeah. to. And so I was bummed that we didn't get to do that, but that is the nature of big budget filmmaking. Sometimes the politics uh, yeah. stop you from being able to do it.
1: Well, luckily you got, you have got to do some other some other really cool films. Scorpion King for one.
2: That was really fun. They that With was the they brought me I mean, in. Yeah, they brought me in. That was the first rock film. They brought me in three weeks before the shooting and wanted me to sort of do some things to the script and so i did and and got to hang out with the rock i got to i was on set during the climax and i came up with the thing where he finds his bow but he's got no arrow and so he reaches back into his he's got one in his back so he it pulls, pulls it that out, the out and I was Like, no, yeah. so it's just me the director Chuck Russell and and The Rock and I'm like okay Dwayne here's here's what you do. So he was Dwayne to you guys. He wasn't the he wasn't he still, introduced himself okay. as Dwayne. Okay, cool. In fact, <laughs> at the table read he was it came around and everybody was excited because The Rock was yes, there. Of course, you know yeah. he's got a lot of charisma and star power and it comes around to him and everybody's like oh I'm Kelly who I'm I'm Mucker Clark Duncan I'm David <laughs> Hayter and then uh he goes hi I'm uh, I'm Dwayne Johnson the The Rock. You People
1: know. Are like I thought The Rock was in this movie. Right and he. He was it's just so so, great. He's so he's charming
2: like a, and so sweet, and, and he's, a,
1: hes now our biggest action star.
2: I mean, he's a movie star. He's awesome, born to be that, and, and and certainly deserving. And so. that was his,
1: and that was the first time we got to see him in a flick. Uh, that's right. Um, you were also responsible for another film, or, or at least many versions. Or we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I, I'm a big fan of Metal Gear Solid, and I'm a big fan of the other stuff you've done. I did a two and a half hour podcast dedicated to my review of the Watchmen oh, film. Wow. wow. So, uh, saying I'm a big fan of the Watchmen is an understatement. Saying I'm a bigger fan of, the, of that adaptation, which was. Oh, okay. Like, I went back and said earlier, uh, adapting the X Men must have been daunting. Watchmen, man. Like, wh- what, what, was, so how did, what, how did that come about? I mean, Alan Moore said he liked, your, I mean, did, it doesn't he? get better than that. No. The dude who hates everyone. Like, he fucking murders he, Care Bears. He I mean, doesn't.
2: I mean, yes, he murders Care Bears, but Care Bears deserve it. Yeah. I, I, Not the Care Bear cousins, though. Those guys had spunk. Those guys. The lion. Yeah. ass.
1: Or sh- Hugs-a-lot care, monkey. Care elephant. Yeah. Uh, it was like Shares-a-lot and Hugs-a-lot and fucking... Yeah, exactly. So, whatever.
2: Um, Alan doesn't hate everybody. Alan really <laughs> respects artists, other writers, and he was so nice to me. What he hates is Hollywood. Adapt, yeah. He hates the development of, of his work, and he hates, um, spending these massive amounts of money to, to put up his stories. And I don't begrudge him that. I, I get that. Oh, I, let, it me, is...
1: let me say, I'm, a, I'm, Alan Moore is my single favorite writer. so I mean, no way. I no, no, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. clarifying oh, of course.
2: because everybody says, Oh, Alan Moore must have been a dick to you. And I'm like, no, he couldn't have been nicer. He was so supportive so of awesome. me, yeah. which as a, as a comic book geek was incredible. And, um, it, he just, he just has a, a political a philosophical problem with the amount of money that gets spent on movies and i get that but when a story to my mind when a story is so beautifully written and when themes like that are presented in such an original and beautiful way it should be put out to more people um i felt like that was a noble calling and and, and well worth the money that was spent um, so uh, yeah, that's So, that so
0: uh,
1: how did you when, how did you get involved in in the project? I mean, how did you at first sit down? To, what how do you sit down and adapt the single most influential comic book of all time, as it were? Well, those are two or, different questions. What okay. I did
2: was um, they after I did X after I did X Men, my agent said, "Well, what do you want to do next?" And I said, "I want to do Watchmen." And if I'm the comic book guy. That's the greatest comic book of all time. So they said, no, 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 you'll never get The rights are all messed up, and there's a bunch of money spent against it. It's dead. There's People no way. Been,
1: at that point, Terry Gilliam had tried to develop it oh, yeah. for years. I mean, it had been two decades at that point, That's, right?
2: Yeah, yeah pretty well, no, much. I mean, it was ju- I signed my contract the day before 9-11. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it had been around for about 11, 12 years at that point. It, it came out in, well, no, it came out in
1: 85, was that right? I, I think so, right, 85. And got, okay, so it was about eight, 16 years. So, yeah. So, so long enough time. That, yeah, yeah. So,
2: but I found out I tracked down Larry Gordon, who who was a great legendary producer, and he had the rights. And so we went and and I I just went to them and said I wanted to do a six part miniseries for HBO. And he said, ah, I don't do TV. Can you turn it into a movie? So I said, Well, I can try. And um and so how I adapted it. Like I was the one that dug it up. I mean, I. am so you were you were those those was who a, it those was your who project, are yeah yeah. I mean, those who blame me, blame me, and, and, <laughs> and those who appreciate it. <laughs> I, I did have a significant amount. Those to who do blame
1: it. you don't listen to this fucking podcast. Oh they no, made whatever. Sit through three hours of the most like it's better than Citizen Kane. I don't no, know what anyone's uh, talking uh, about. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that, but but um, that movie's about a newspaper and some fucking sled. Like I don't know. Yeah, I'm I don't joking. know what the hell. It was uh, a sledding. It's
2: overrated. So uh, so then to adapt it i basically what i did was my first pass i copied out all of the dialogue verbatim i um and then put in simple action description and the first draft was about 174 pages which is <laughs> a, a movie is about a minute per page so that was too long but it wasn't like crushingly long and then i said okay my next pass i'm going to take out everything i can take out without taking out a single great moment or line that i love like just he moves from this place to that place it's for lover, yeah. telling us uh oh i didn't see you at the funeral well we know we didn't see her at the funeral because we saw that she wasn't there taking out things like that my next pass was 138 pages <laughs> there
1: wasn't much and not that was awesome right well yeah.
2: no i mean a lot of it was awesome but so, but I managed to cut another 35 pages and then we were pretty close to, I mean, we were pretty close to what it ended up being 10 years later. Um, but it took 10 years of dealing with multiple studios. What would happen is we had it at Universal first and then Revolution, then Paramount and then Warner Brothers. Wow. And w- what would happen is we would be developing it and then they'd say, okay, can you cut all these other characters and just make it about Dan and Rorschach? And I'd say, no, that's not Watchmen. And that's a different thing. And they'd say, well, if you don't do that, we're going to fire you. And I'd say, well, then you might want to fire me. And so then they'd fire me and we'd go to a different studio because Larry Gordon was, is such a powerful producer that he, it's in his contract that he can just, if he, if the filmmaker disagrees, he can, he take, can take it take away. It away? Wow. And so he was a true hero to this process as well, stuck by it and, and, and stuck by me and said, if David says that's not Watchmen, that's not Watchmen. And so, uh, we went through, you know, me attached as director, Paul Greengrad, Darren Aronofsky was attached for a weekend. I flew to New York <laughs> and talked to Darren about it. It
1: lasted a weekend?
2: Literally a weekend.
1: How, what, what went wrong? What went well, what so happened point?
2: was he, he wanted to do it. Paramount wanted him to do it. And then they said they said, oh, wait, he's shooting the fountain and his schedule isn't going to allow him to do it for another six months. And we want this movie right now. Right now, we're gonna we want to go into production. Wow. Okay. So they called Paul Greengrass and said, "Well, you do it." He said, "Sure." He came on board. We did six months of pre-production with him, spent millions of dollars, and then they killed the movie. Wow. Uh, and then we went to Warner Brothers. W-
1: who was? Were, do we know who was attached to the Greengrass version, like the fans and stuff like that? Was it the same cast or?
2: No, 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 no. He wanted, um, he wanted Joaquin Phoenix for Dan. Um, who did we want for uh that's the one I can remember was like a big was, it was, a, was a primary was the big, yeah. thing. I had wanted John Cusack for Dan. I thought he would have been great. That would have been cool. Yeah, because I love him. He's awesome. Um uh we talked about all kinds of people for Dr. Manhattan. I wanted Denzel Washington at one point. I thought that'd be interesting. The Dr. Manhattan? Wow. Yeah, yeah. well, because you wanted somebody who had this godlike presence you know it has to be somebody who's a believable god you know Crudup,
1: who, when he was first cast i was like the guy from almost famous he right. did a really great job though, i thought he, he, he nailed did. it but but you're right it wouldn't it wouldn't be the person you'd expect to be played. you would think it would be the most zen kind of imposing presence
2: yeah it, yeah somebody who just naturally now yeah and billy did a great job because his performance was powerful it was subtle and the and the effect the guy, the rendering of him was so strong was great, and, yeah. and 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 beautifully executed. Um but yeah, I felt like initially back in the day, I thought it has to be somebody that when they come into the room, they're zen, they're quiet, but they just intimidate the hell out of that's you. Great. You know? So um and then who I can't I can't hey, remember the other name. We'll names.
1: we'll work on it for another episode. Yeah, yeah. You call me it. and I'll I'll drop it on another episode right, of right. All, breaking news. Now um another big question that always comes up is uh the squid.
2: Yes, it does come up quite a bit.
1: Uh, did Did you ever intend for the, it to keep the original ending? No,
2: or... no. I like. I say I signed my contract, and the next day, the ending of Watchmen happened to New to York. real life. Yeah, and so I, I'm an edgy guy. I like my films to be startling and and sometimes offensive, but to show. The dead bodies in the middle of Times Square the way they do in the comic book, even I felt that was too far. It was too heartful. And I knew they would never make it.
1: Which makes sense. And what's funny is in the passionate internet diatribes, you never hear that. It's never in yeah, that context. That doesn't
2: occur to people. No that one, one ever
1: – like I, I'm, I like to pride myself on being a fairly intelligent guy. Dude, it literally just occurred to me.
2: Yeah, Well. well, and remember – the day after 9-11, it was a lot more intense yeah. to people than it is today. I mean, ca-
1: all kinds of movies were getting shot. I mean, every, yeah, yeah. everything, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, and there, there was some huge movie that was about a terrorist attack that got shut down for two years. I mean, they were going to do that.
1: The, uh, the Chuck Palahniuk book, Survivor, which ends with right. someone flying, uh, hijacking a 747 and crashing it into a, the Washington right. y- DC. I mean, that was great. Yeah, so right. a lot of stuff, So, yeah.
2: So, like, you know, to upset people or offend people is one thing, to mortally wound people that have been unjustly uh traumatized was not what i got into movies to do so um and plus the 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 squid portion of it i love in the book i think the images are amazing it, it's a beautiful thing but it is it is a new thing that sort not of comes out of nowhere cinematic, i mean well it comes out of nowhere it's like it's like suddenly squid, there's a yeah, giant yeah. alien squid and i always feel like you get one bit of magic per movie and to me that was dr manhattan you know in 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 Star Wars all the magic comes from the Force. In Lord of the Rings it all comes from the ring. You know, I don't think it was problematic to set that up and then at the end of a very talky movie to suddenly say, "Oh, and by the way, I have genetically engineered a no, squid. Yeah. It's telepathic. It's going to send shockwaves of telepathic earthquake across New York." And I was like, I I'm going to have trouble explaining And to build
1: that, that you would have a, you'd had to done all the island stuff and, and I mean there's was there was the the so and much there was more. all that stuff you
2: couldn't we didn't have too many char- new to characters to just randomly throw in. So And none of our main characters. So it just, it, it, it just was very problematic. And, and I felt needed to be streamlined. And when this idea of Dr. Manhattan as the agent of destruction came up, I was like, that's, that makes more sense to me. Maybe, maybe that's heretical, uh, but that's, that's the decision we made.
1: So are you ultimately happy with how the film, with how the film turned out?
2: Yeah, I, I, um, I feel like the first cut, they they sort of, you know, I know they were really hard on Zach and, and Warner's was really pushing him to get it shorter and shorter. I mean, and shorter. The, the theatrical wound up being what two hours and twenty I mean, or something. Yeah, it was yeah. something like two and a half hours or something. It's still long, but but Watchmen needs to be long. It needs to breathe. It's an epic, epic tale. So when I saw the um, is it the ultimate cut with the tales of the Black yes, Trader cut the, in the
1: ultimate? Yeah, that.
2: Kicks my ass. I I love that movie. I mean that that's the one where I'm like that ten years of horror <laughs> paid off in that in that version. And it's tough to get. I mean you have to pay sixty dollars to get the full on package or whatever. I think they just gave it to me. I think
1: I'm, I see um, you got the smart way. I think I bought them separately. And the motion I have like a Watchmen right, shelf. Right, right, you know right. I mean? so, well, was,
2: good so you spent a ton of money. Was a, on I
1: this. was that dude buying the books. Well, yeah, yeah, thank you yeah. for all the all the, the nickels <laughs> no and residuals. Worries, man.
2: Um, I get a nickel per uh, per DVD. So
1: you have like fifteen nickels for me. Awesome. I gave out a lot of copies to friends now. Thanks, I man. Um, but so, I owe you a Coke. <laughs> I'll take it after the show. <laughs> right. We'll go right to a deli. that would be good. In terms of what you said before, uh, and just from a fan perspective, someone who enjoys the film, in terms of it had to have been that long, it had to... My reaction coming out of it was basically, that was what a Watchmen movie is. It had hmm. to have been. There was nothing else that movie could have been... It wouldn't well, have been a Watchmen movie if it was anything but the version that I saw at least. Well,
2: I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, you can always, you can always, if like you I've had read, different casting. I've read the you Sam different... Ham
1: script in the past, and while I enjoy, it's not Watchmen. No, it's n-
2: it, well, the Sam Ham script was a very different thing, and 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 really uh, trying to match up to what they thought a comic book movie was, was in '89. Rorschach. You know, I mean, yeah. Um. So, uh, but like the Paul Greengrass version would have been very different. You know, we were trying to. Snyder version. Yeah. I mean, still Watchmen, but, you know, sort of grittier, more documentary style, the way Paul does things. So there were different ways of doing it, but it was important to me that the movie felt like Watchmen at the end. That, that was my, that was my goal. You know, do never let them push you to a point where it is no longer Watchmen. And in the end, that ultimate cut is inarguably a watchman movie and i'm immensely proud of that and thrilled that it that's worked cool, out man.
1: that way no, and and dude with as the geek community we thank you for it man oh, well, well some a, of you do
2: it was a close <laughs> we were ever gonna get some of you are like Steak where's the
1: squid suck, man? man i mean yeah like, you know, now what? we know why
2: there wasn't a squid yeah. fucking osama bin laden guys that's blame right him. you want to you want to blame somebody yeah. blame osama He's dead
1: now so we win everyone guys that's it's right. all over it everything went full circle that's right <laughs> now you've got you've you've got some other um stuff coming up in mm-hmm. uh film projects and, and various other things. Do you wanna get into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. To move on to the new work. So you actually started your own studio recently, that, I did, right? Yeah. Dark Hero Studios.
2: It's a production company, but I called it Dark Hero Studios, so it'd sound like we have buildings. Yeah. Um. But, and but like that's funny,
1: because I called my production company a production company to make it sound like I produce stuff, but it's sure. really just me on a computer. Well, I
2: actually produce stuff, <laughs> yeah. so I was like, let's let's take it a little further <laughs> that's and make it sound st- like it. Yeah. yeah, we're all one trickle down. But on it's on the, all Hollywood lies. On the, lies. the white I mean, lie scale. scale. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. and uh, it, I read online, and again, my producer is Wikipedia and IMDb, and yes, he hits the bottle sometimes, so he's not always accurate. Your first film's going to be a werewolf film, Wolves, with Ray Stevenson. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe
2: I mean Wolverine. damn you, Wikipedia. Yeah, no, 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 no. Well, it's correct. We've been putting it together for three and a half years. The company that was funding us—we are supposed to shoot this winter—just got hit with a massive lawsuit judgment of fifty million dollars against never it, good. which has proven problematic for the film. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but 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 it, but it made me realize that the difficulty in in my getting a film to the screen as a director may not be about me. I think it may be more about a. Like a mummy's curse, or maybe I hit an old gypsy with my car Probably or the something. Gypsy, yeah. I think tons it's a gypsy of them. thing.
1: They're short, so you never see them either.
2: Yeah, oh, they're short, and they're so vindictive. Oh, totally. You know, yeah. so, um. But never forget, never forget. Never like, forget. And, and, uh, so, so there's, there's a wonderful bit of a snag music, there. Though. We're waiting to see. We're waiting to see. It still may, it still may happen, but I have a couple. I actually have, Another film that I'm attached to direct that I won't talk about at the moment that we have a script and we have a star and we, we you know. So I, it, I will be directing something soon. Very soon. There will be. But, your, um, but it is the typical sort of Hollywood. You,
1: you'll see which project it is, right? That's right. Um, you have an acting gig coming up. I do. That was recently announced. Right? I do. want to tell very us a little bit about, about that? It. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, I have some friends in Toronto that, that, um, a friend of mine is a successful, uh, um, I don't know what he does. A software programmer or something. He's got money, and he put together some investors, raised money to do a film with another friend of mine, uh, a great writer named Joseph O'Brien, who who worked on the um, uh, RoboCop miniseries up in uh, up in Toronto, was a showrunner on that, and uh, and we were old friends, and he he was doing this film. It's a, uh, called The Devil's Mile, and it's a you know a thriller horror film. And he said, would you be interested in playing a psychopathic mafia lieutenant? And I was like, hell yes, I would. You get the
1: fun project. I was like, do
2: dude. I get to get, yeah. I was like, who do I get to kill? And he's like, well, you get to kill this person and this person and so on and so on. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. So, cause I never do that. I'm always a hero. I'm always, you know, something or other. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, yeah, I'm heading up to Toronto on the, on September 5th to, um,
1: Play a sadistic mafioso. That's show. right. Very cool, man. And
2: murder people. Yeah. So very anybody, cool. so any fans in Toronto, please come say hello.
1: That's awesome. And and you've and now it's, it's announced That's that it you well, uh yeah. you're adapting a, a comic book, right?
2: Yes. Uh, for just Showtime. Just announced today. Just announced today, so we're this is adapting breaking a, news right now. Yeah, we're adapting a comic book series called *The Damned* um uh, by uh uh Cullen and Hurt, um which is a brilliant uh piece. Um, it's, 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 it's gangsters and demons and it's sort of a supernatural Miller's Crossing type That's of awesome world. Then. I'm and
1: sure, I'm sure Golden Apple or your local store has a copy if you guys want to I would it imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sure, I'm
2: sure it's here somewhere. I'm looking for it. we will pull one
1: after. Yeah. Um,
2: but, uh, yeah, really awesome, uh, thing that was brought to me by Warren Littlefield, uh, it was a legendary, you know, executive and producer. And um and a company called Oni Press, which prints yeah it.
1: Oni of course yeah well in in our little
2: weird uh, smart guest world they actually put
1: out the Kevin Smith books back in the day Oni oh, cool. the Clerks books and
2: Chase yeah Bell, so I've gotten yeah. to know those guys and they were really supportive of me and we took it to Showtime and they snapped it up and said we love it so. that's good.
1: so it's going to a series it's a se- it's going to be a series
2: or a, well, a movie look, or you know these things get announced and then and then people are like well where's where's the Lost Planet movie show me it now don't, don't ask yeah. me where the Lost Planet movie is okay so that, I'm crossing um, that question off my list uh, <laughs> he, he, and um. Any other questions I shouldn't ask? That? No, 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 no. Whatever. I'm so, um, so the damned—they've hired me to write the pilot, but you know, they they hire a lot of pilots. They they commission a lot of pilots, sure. and then we see what becomes a show. But it's it's it is a very cool world. I think it's totally badass. It sort of follows on the heels of the Walking Dead and 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 sort of the new horror that has been opened up for television. Um. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited. That's about very
1: that. cool, man. Um. Any and anything else you have coming up? I remember you mentioned. Yeah, I did have. You have something. a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> I, I do.
2: Oh well, da- Dragon Riders are busy men.
1: Oh, that's right. Excuse me. The uh, the, your um, the ann McCaffrey novel. That's right?
2: right. Well, yeah, the the whole world uh, that Anne McCaffrey um uh writes had been optioned by a, a producer friend of mine named Steve Hoban, who runs Copperheart Films in Toronto. They asked me if I'd be interested in adapting it. My wife is a massive fan of the Dragon Rider book. Now, I mean, that series you goes to, and so is she. That's, that's... Hey, there's girls here now too. By oh, the way, wow. we're we're moving uh, up in the world. Welcome. But
1: that series goes back to like the sixties and it's like Hugo and Nebula award. I mean, that's a giant, oh, yeah. that's a giant sci-fi fantasy pedigree exactly. kind of Exactly. Well, thing, and yeah. it
2: feels very fantasy, but it's got very serious sci-fi cred. And so, um, so that's obviously a huge thing. Those movies will be massive and take a while to put together. But we are talking to a very significant director who I can't mention, who's very excited about it and kindly was like, Oh, when I heard you were, when he heard i was involved he was like oh great that's exciting dude so we are just about to take it out to the town i'm writing i'm i was writing the outline today and and i so hopefully dragon riders will come soon wow It'll and that's yeah, and that's an entire
1: thing. universe you get to yeah. create again oh which yeah has gotta be and yeah.
2: can go on and on i mean we I've, I'm, I'm i'm envisioning three movies at the moment but it can just go on you know, very it's, cool there's a huge cool. world there awesome
1: um Anywhere people could find you online or anything? Do you blog? Yes, or, I, yeah, I well, I tweet.
2: Uh, you're at David
1: B. Hater. I, right? yeah, I'm
2: pretty reclusive, so I, I hadn't really done that stuff. But I, I, I am now under David B. Hater. Um, I sometimes comment on YouTube under the name Guyversnake, Uh <laughs> So those two are legitimately me. And um, but my Twitter is the best place to find me. I, I'm not on Facebook. Uh, there is a fan page, but I, I, I'm not on Facebook, so I can't see are it. You a fa-
1: oh, you're not a, even a fan of your own fan page.
2: Oh, I would. I am theoretically. Oh, okay. I mean, if <laughs> You're I could. like,
1: in real life, I'm a fan, just not the Facebook kind of fan. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to join
2: Facebook to to, to to know it, and I'm afraid that that will be an avalanche of time suck that I can't afford. Uh, I you make know. that
1: mistake every once in a while. Yeah, the so. Pokemon, every, every five years, I'm like, I can handle Pokemon again. I'm an adult now. I've had sex and stuff. I've had girlfriend. Sure. Never, oh, good ne- for you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. It still doesn't make a difference, okay. though. No, 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 Thrown right back into 200 hours of straight Pokemon.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. Addictive.
1: By nature, you have to catch them all, so they just built it in right there. You're never going to. Well, you've got to
2: catch them all. Yeah. Got, I mean, uh, that's and one of them mandate. is always
1: really hard to catch, so you're fucked. Yeah. It takes a really long time.
2: Yeah. Uh, but we got,
1: Don't know what he's talking about. Whoa. I'll fill you in later. Help dude, me. Uh, it sounds like you've got some really exciting stuff coming up. Uh yes. I want to thank you again for for well, coming out you, and guys. chatting with us, dude. This is awesome, uh, ladies and gentlemen. David B. Hater, everybody. <laughs>
2: Thank you guys. Thank you all for coming out and thank you for listening. This is a, a great honor. Appreciate it. And we'd love to have you back sometime soon with when as all these uh, f- projects unveil. My pleasure. Oh, and by the way, you weren't here for this. I believe I tested my microphone over the opening song and didn't realize oh, it. it. So that's fine. I will. So, I so that out. play it back in the in the thing and, and we we'll fix it. it might now so it's fine. a
1: special opening song. David, uh, since, that's would, a valuable voice. Man. our that's song, that's, man. I'll, Absolutely. I will bill you. Speaking of a valuable voice, I would be remiss, uh, if I didn't ask could, could Snake possibly give a little shout out to Bagdamon? Boarded,
2: you're listening to Bagged and Boarded, so pay some damn attention.
1: I think that works, dude. David Hader, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, as always, I'll be here at the Golden Apple Comics. We got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Find folks at Smodcast Network, as always, put us up on smodcast.com and iTunes every week. I now have the pleasure of producing the new show, More Stories, for the hilarious Jay Moore, number one podcast on the internet. Please check that out, and guys, honestly. What have we learned today? Russian accents. Get really good at them, and you will have an awesome life after that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Matt Cohen. It's been bagged and boarded. It's been real. What? Bagged and boarded live. What sneak attack? And I'm back, folks. Let's see if I, let's do it like this. And I'm back, folks. Uh, I want to thank my guest David Hater for. I can't do it. He's been, uh, I see why the guy has a job and I don't. I want to thank David Hater for coming on the show. That was epic. Follow him online. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter at DavidBHater and uh, his website, David Hater.com, for all kinds of fun updates. He's got a lot going on, so give him some internet loving. Uh, this guy over here, you can check me out on Twitter at Camel Toad, C A M E L T O A D. Check out Camel com as always. Check out all the other fine Smodcast Network podcasts, including more stories, which I'm producing right now, at goldenapplecomics.com for all your comic booky goodness. And, uh, oh, if you want to talk to me, uh, not in real life, because that would be weird, and I wouldn't allow it, but if you want to interact with the show, uh, give an email over to baggedboarded at com. And uh, other than that, folks, we'll see you next time. Wah, wah. I don't know what that noise was, but we'll figure it out. We have a week. Goodbye.
0: Find more funny shit like this at smodcast.com.